Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 18. It's July 4th, which is the U.S. Independence Day, and um, kind of a tough day if you're thinking about moving beyond things that you were taught as a kid that you may now be realizing were really never true. It's a tough thing to realize, and it's galling and embarrassing in some ways and humbling and all this stuff, guilt-inducing and and shocking, really, to say, wow, I sat in the classroom and the teachers, first nuns in the early grades and then lay teachers, that is non-nun teachers, said, America, the United States, it's the land of the free and the home of the brave. What are you talking about? How could you say that? Country started when Europeans came over and, you know, committed genocide against Native American people and then enslaved or simultaneously enslaved. Millions of people from Africa, the effects of which are felt very, very keenly in our country in many, many ways. Today still, how can we talk about land of the free? What are you on? That makes no sense. And it's harsh. It's a harsh realization that was never true. It was never true for five minutes, but we were spoon-fed that nonsense. And a lot of us believed it or didn't question it. So now, July 4th might be the perfect day to question everything you've been taught, every single thing you've been taught. Because we get stronger when we learn critical thinking, when we learn to say, I don't know if that's true. But a lot of people are not good at critical thinking. They haven't cultivated that skill. And I always look a little bit sideways when people say, oh, you know, we teach critical thinking in school. I don't know if that's true or not. I think there's a lot of rote instruction in school, learn these facts and take this test. And I'm not blaming teachers, of course. They have an unbelievably hard job. Some would say an impossible job to do. Plus my mom, my grandmother, my brother, my sister-in-law, my other sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, my brother, who's a teacher, everyone in my whole entire family, Irish heritage, you guys. If not cops, then teachers. That's pretty much it in the generations, you know, I'm thinking of. And I revere teachers. I'm kind of a teacher myself. We have a tough job to do, but the system is broken. The system of instructing kids and, and the dogma that is spoon fed to them. It's really horrifying, right? I remember as a kid reading about how the United States was so much better than Russia where people were programmed to believe certain things. There's the fireworks. Can you hear them in the background? But how's the United States different? Kids are likewise programmed here to believe a lot of nonsense that isn't true. So I want you to question everything. Question what you were taught about religion. Question what you were taught about the government and politics. Question what you were taught about the secret rules to success. I definitely was told working hard will make you successful. What are you talking about? I see people all over the place working extremely hard in landscaping jobs, you know? Not easy jobs, not high paying jobs, right? Retail jobs, all kinds of jobs that other people wouldn't even do. They're working so hard just to pay the rent and barely scraping by. Let's not say working hard makes you successful. Obviously there's more to it than that. That's kind of a simple, right explanation doesn't hold up under scrutiny i questioned been questioning for a long time what i was taught as a kid about work i used to be interested in work as a kid which is kind of weird partly because i was number six in a family of eight kids and i needed to make some money 
So I was always curious, like, what is that job? What do they do in that job? How do they get paid? And I was making money early. It was a different generation, and you had to go do stuff around the neighborhood to get a dime or a quarter. Those were our currencies back then. I remember walking around the neighborhood selling spider plants with my friend. We had spider plants. We took the spider plant babies that spring off the main spider plant, put them in little pots, a little bit of dirt, and sold them for 50 cents. I remember the price around the neighborhood. You could make a little profit that way. My friend Liz and I, we had an art class for five-year-olds. It was very specific. I'm sure if someone were four and a half, we would have taken them, but the moms all knew each other, and they sat in the living room, and we taught little art projects to their kids in the playroom or the basement, and we charged two bucks a kid per class. That was not enough. We lost our shirts on art supplies, but we were learning about how to make money and create value and, and you know how to make a buck, and that's a very important thing to learn. I talk about that incessantly now on my desire for you to make money some other way than just a paycheck in a full-time job from your employer, which you know is often necessary but also has some limitations and doesn't give you the experience of really knowing what value you provided such that you got paid X or Y amount. But apart from my own independent research as a little entrepreneur kid, not just me, but me and all my friends, I learned some total BS about work just ridiculous about the the uh, correlation between a college degree and a good job. College degree doesn't guarantee you a good job. It's obviously, I, I don't know how colleges can still say in their recruiting advertising, we have the degrees employers want. And they do, they do say that. I have, have grabbed screenshots of a lot of those ads uh, when I used to write for Forbes and those ads would pop up and I would say, oh, then how dare they? How dare they say commit like that? You cannot guarantee a student a job at the end of four years. What a horrible pitch to the parents. And how sad and impoverished intellectually when you say this is what you're getting out of this very expensive four-year degree. That's, that's, that's insulting, awful. There's just a lot of brokenness in our systems and institutions. As you probably heard me say before, if you listen to this podcast, but I'm not trying to be a downer today. I'm trying to say, look at the opportunity to look and see what doesn't work and tell the truth about it. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the idea of authenticity at work. Let's be authentic at work. Stop it. It's a hierarchical system where the employer holds all the cards, especially in the U.S. You could be let go for speaking more truth than your employer wants to hear, but you're going to tell people be authentic, a one-sided authenticity. You're not going to tell them what you're planning to do with the department or the division or this particular role or how long a person might have their job, but you want them to be authentic with you and would even try to compel that through the fear of somebody you know who, who is less than fully uh, uh, um, forthcoming with you. How dare you? Really? How dare you? Just reprehensible, but we don't talk about it. I'm an HR person. That's my profession. And um, I, I, I can't stand to see the hypocrisy and the non-truth-telling in that profession when we say, oh, I want employees who are authentic. Yeah, I'm sure you do. They want to work for companies that are authentic too. But if you can't come up with even a basic, simple agreement, an employment contract that says if you don't screw anything up or stab someone, you're going to have a job here for a year or six months or some defined duration. If you can't even do that, 
If you can't even guarantee me that if you let me go for no reason, you'll give me three months of severance pay so that I can pay the rent while I job hunt, you can't even do that. How can I be authentic with you? Why would I? You wouldn't deserve my truth, my authenticity in that case. But this is the status quo in the United States, right? I said on Twitter this week, there is a question every single job seeker would ask at every single job interview. And the only reason they don't ask is because they're afraid. And here's the question. How long will I have this job? Of course, people would want to know that. How long will I have the job? Right? Some jobs, they'll tell you. A summer internship. Oh, we'll keep you till the middle of September. That work? Yeah, that works. But most jobs, they don't tell you because they don't know and they don't want to commit. They can't even say and won't even say you do a good job. You could be here a long time because it's not about you doing a good job. You could do a fantastic job, but their needs might change. They might be bought. They might do a downsizing and they want to hold all the cards and they want to reserve the right to let you go for no reason. So then knowing that, how can anybody ask you to be authentic? Because they know there are truths you cannot tell because it's not in your best interest to do that because they set the rules up that way. You speak truth even to try to help your employer do things better, you could get fired because somebody doesn't like it. Don't ask me to be authentic if you will not be authentic with me. All right, we're going to answer some questions. Hey, Liz, I have my performance review coming up, and I'm supposed to review myself in a self-review document that my manager will then annotate and add her notes to. I'm wondering if I should overpraise myself so if my manager underpraises me, we come out at about the right place. So this is sort of gaming, you know, the performance review system. And it's a reasonable question, but it gets right to what I was saying before, the lack of trust. If you feel, and I don't blame you if you feel this way, my manager's a naturally harsh grader, so let me overpraise myself and say, I think I did an amazing job. So my manager can say, I'm not sure you did that great of a job, but I still come out you know, with a pretty good performance review. It's a logical response, but it's a logical response to a broken system. Really, I mean, you can do that. I don't think it's gonna make a difference. The tiny increments in pay that we're talking about, you know, when the average pay increase, annual increase is under 3%, I don't know that the difference between the review you would get if you overpraise yourself and sort of psychologically lead the witness, right, your manager, versus the other one is gonna really add up to any real money in your paycheck. But, you know, do what you feel. I would just say when you're working in a place where there's so little trust, and you have to kind of outwit or outsmart your manager because you don't trust that you will get a, an honest performance review that, that is valid and that, that truly reflects what you contribute on the job. And, you know, it's time to think about, is this really a place that still deserves you? I realize you can't go around changing jobs every five minutes, obviously. But by the time you have to sit there and strategize about your performance review because you feel otherwise you may be unfairly evaluated, yeah, it's really, it's one of those times to stop and look at where you've been and where you're going. Because that's obviously a very broken system. Performance reviews in general is a broken mechanism. It's not based on reality. It's not based on results. It's a lot based on what your manager thinks of you and particularly what you contributed in the last three months. Here in our case, that means coronavirus. I don't know if anybody's had their best three months ever on the job. 
I think all companies should suspend performance reviews this year and then junk them entirely forever. Everybody should be able to get the feedback they want and need to do their job, but nobody benefits from feedback that they do not want. That's the truth, right? I can take feedback from people I respect and, I, and I'm desperate for it and I want it. But if somebody said, you know, here's what you need to do and I didn't respect them, maybe like, yeah, thanks anyway, but I'm just sorry, it just doesn't land with any weight because I don't care what you think. And if, you know, if bosses feel, I don't care whether you care what I think or not, here's my feedback I'm giving to you, then it's just a power and control mechanism. It has nothing to do with actually any realistic hope of, uh, of increasing performance, whatever that even means, whatever that even means. Listen, here's the proof. I have 80 million articles on this topic, but you know, kind of the bottom line proof that performance reviews are pointless and they're just a means of keeping people in check. Uh, they're a mean, uh, 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 instruments of power and control is that if they worked, we wouldn't have to do them every year. You would give somebody feedback and that would be the feedback. And then they wouldn't need another performance review, very time consuming and expensive in terms of person hours next year. We wouldn't keep doing this, right? It makes no sense. It's a really broken process, but not as broken as the most broken corporate and institutional process, which of course is recruiting. You could write books, series of books about that. So yeah, you know, in terms of overpraising yourself in your job, kind of split the difference with your boss. You know, I don't blame you. Whatever you do, you'll learn. Your boss might might hammer you for overpraising yourself. Who knows? But I mean, by this time you're it's circles within circles. Maybe it's just time to look at what really you want in the rest of your career and your life. Okay, another question. Oh, when should I bring up salary in the job interview process? Oh, there's a fabulous question. The earlier, the better. I mean, I think employers should put the salary range in a job ad, but they typically don't. If a recruiter contacts you, a company recruiter or a third-party recruiter called, you know, an executive search consultant or a headhunter or whatever, ask them. That's a super reasonable question. What's the salary range for the job? Sometimes they're going to say, well, what's your target salary? You can tell them you have to know, you have to know that number as a job seeker, but it's also reasonable to say, you know, it depends so much on the role. I cannot give you a target salary just based on me as a person without understanding more about what the job is in the context, because that's really how salary levels get set. In other words, you're not walking around with a price tag on you just organically, like I have a price tag. It's based on what's the role. You're going to be worth more in some roles that you could perform than in others. If you know, if, if you do one thing and that one thing just pays one amount, then sure, blurt it out, you know? If you feel comfortable, it's a good barometer of what you want to earn and deserve to earn in your next job, spit it out. But it's also reasonable to say, tell me more about the job, tell me the context, tell me the company. I, I couldn't possibly give you a target range just based on like me, like I'm worth X. It's completely context-based is, is very, very reasonable. And that can put you in a tug of war with the recruiter who really wants that target salary number. And you might end up playing chicken and having to call their bluff and saying, you know what, talk to somebody else. I can't, I'm not going to give you a number and potentially, you know, undershoot. I, 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 it's reasonable to know what a company thinks they should pay for a particular skill set. But it's up to you. You do what you feel and trust your gut, which evolved for millennia 
to keep you safe. But anyway, so by the time you get to the first interview, it'd be really good to know the salary range. But if not, after the first interview is the hard stop. And you can say to the recruiter, if they invite you to come back for a second interview, a live interview or a Zoom interview, you can say, yeah, we need to sync up on salary. You know, I'd love to know what these guys, your client or your firm are planning to pay, you know, before we continue the interview process. Because your time is not free and you should get a number out on the table. Whoever speaks it, get a number out on the table always before you go back for a second interview. All right, third question and the final. Ooh, here's another good one. Dear Liz, I love what you write and say. Thank you so much. What is your name? Amy. Thank you, Amy. I have a portfolio that has served me very well at job interviews in the past. I'm an office manager, but my portfolio shows events I've done, calendars I've designed, correspondence I've created, and other information that shows my skills and proficiency. However, with Zoom interviews, it's awkward. I don't know how or when to show the portfolio, and it's not going to translate well through the camera on my laptop. What should I do? Amy, you are a superstar. That's so awesome that you bring a portfolio to interviews as an office manager. I love that so much. So many jobs could have portfolios. We don't think of portfolios unless we're thinking of graphic designers or marketing people often, or you know, architects and drafts people and that kind of thing. But so many people could have a portfolio, a physical portfolio that you get at an art supply store, face-to-face at the store or online, and it has those uh, clear sheets of plastic, uh, see-through plastic, and you stick in there your various artifacts and and invitations to events and agendas and PowerPoints and who knows what memos and, and nothing proprietary from a past firm, but, but great stuff that you've created that shows how you roll. And that's a wonderful thing to bring to an interview. Now we have this complication, a Zoom interview. What am I supposed to do with the portfolio? I can't hold it up to the camera and say, see my portfolio? Listen, here's what you do, Amy. You're in the interview and you're talking about office management and you're telling stories and you say, you know, we had a situation like the one you're describing when I worked for whoever, Acme Explosives, and um, this is what I did. I got a committee together and we put on this thing and we did blah, blah, blah. And I'd actually love to show you the agenda for that event and the invitation. I have them here in my physical portfolio, but of course it's unwieldy to show you that here. I'm going to send you copies once we get off the Zoom call. You send them copies. It's good to have copies of the individual materials or artifacts or examples in your portfolio on your hard drive so you can also upload them. Can't you upload them to a Zoom call? I think you can. Or send them as an attachment later. Or direct the uh, person who's interviewing you to an online version of your portfolio, which is simply a compilation of the materials from your physical portfolio, but now they're online. And you know you can put that stuff in your LinkedIn profile, you can put it on a Pinterest page, so many places that you can put it, but LinkedIn is really good for that kind of stuff because it's a business site. It's really great to have a leave behind, something that you show a hiring manager after you talk to them. So you're very, very well positioned for that, Amy, because you're gonna send a thank you note to your hiring manager. Of course, you have to have their email address. 
If the recruiter does not give you that, you get it from the hiring manager once you're on the Zoom call. It's been so lovely talking with you. I'd love to send you a quick thank you. Is it James P at uh, acmeexplosives.com? No, it's actually James underscore Peterson at acmeexplosives.com. Okay, that's great, James. Thank you. That's perfect. I'm going to send you a quick thank you and a couple of examples of my work. That's it. Send the stuff. Use the portfolio. You're a superstar, Amy, and I'm so glad you wrote. If you guys have a question for me, please send it to support at humanworkplace.com. Listen to our podcast, The Truth About Work, just like this. Check out our site, Human Workplace, and um, take a look at our blog. You can also follow us on Twitter at Human Workplace. Same thing, Facebook, Human Workplace. And on LinkedIn, it's just my name, Liz Ryan. So have a great, great week.